Colossians, the book of Colossians. If you're not sure where that's at, you can look at the index in the front, or you can just flip through. In the New Testament, it's a little closer to the end than it is to the beginning. In the New Testament, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and then you've got Romans, First and Second Corinthians. And then you get to those four books, and remember the order of these, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G, E, P, uh, C, God eats popcorn, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you got Colossians in there. If you got past that, flip back a little bit, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. The other day. I ordered something off of Amazon. Yes, I do Amazon. Yes, I'm lazy uh, because I don't want to go to the store a lot of times. And so I ordered some things off of Amazon. I can't remember all the things that we ordered. Uh, so yesterday I ordered some things, a bed frame that we needed, some um, some cleaners that we needed, and uh, I don't know, a couple other things that we ordered. And I got a confirmation immediately that the order had been accepted, and I got another confirmation not too long after that that the order had been processed, and I got another confirmation after that saying the order had been shipped. And though all four of these things came from all different places, I even have a a time that they're going to be delivered or a day that they're going to be delivered, not a time, because with Amazon you don't know. It could be 9 in the morning or could be 9.30 at night, but I got the delivery, um, the the statement that it's being shipped, that it's on the way, and that my package should arrive today, and then another one tomorrow, and another one after that, and another one after that, and then even uh, though I, I got those statements that they're being shipped, I'll get a confirmation, the one that's supposed to be delivered today, not that I wanted it delivered today on a Sunday, but they decided to deliver it today, the one that's going to be delivered today, as soon as they put it on my porch, they scan the thing, and then they send an email saying, delivery confirmation, it's there, it's on your porch. If it's not there, it's not our fault, we put it on your porch. And then they'll send another one for each other successive thing that comes in. Boy, that's a lot different than it was when I was growing up. Because you had to pull out the Best Buy catalog, and you had to circle on each page and dog ear each page the things that you wanted to have. And then you had to wait for two weeks till mom was going to Hampton, where I grew up, to go over to Best Buy to be able to look around and see uh, where they were in the Best Product store. And, and you wouldn't be able to get those things for months at a time. But we have confirmation given to us just like this today with the things that we get. Now, you might think that that's an amazing technological advance that has occurred in your lifetime, but I just want to say to you, delivery confirmation has been around a lot longer than you have. Delivery confirmation, in fact, has been around for millennia. And God spoke about this very topic where we're going to read today in Colossians. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. We've been in this study out of Colossians. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. We're continuing on in this series today. We started off a couple of weeks ago talking about the book of Colossians. And as we started off in Colossians, uh, we said that what we believe about Jesus Christ matters that it makes a difference. This entire study with Colossians is about pointing out 
and symbolizing, signifying through the word of God, through the book of Colossians, that this is what scripture says about Jesus Christ. And even though some people say they believe in Jesus Christ, if their idea of who Christ is is flawed at the very beginning, there is something wrong with this relationship. There is an innate flaw for believing in a Christ that is not described in Scripture. What we believe about Jesus Christ matters. And so when we look in Scripture and when we see these words that are included there, they make a difference. Now I want to read the Scripture passage with you, and then we're going to let our kids go in just a second. Um, but Scripture passage starting off in Colossians chapter 1. I'll read it in here. Our kids and their parents, they may read it a little bit later on. But here's what we're going to look at today in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 13. He, the Father, he, God, has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us. The delivery has occurred. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us, and it is that image of a conveyor belt. Something has been put on the conveyor belt, and it is conveyed to a location. He has conveyed us. He has moved us. He has shifted us. He has placed us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's going to be the focal point of our passage today. And we're going to pull from these verses that follow to explain those two verses. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Take a moment and bow with me. Father, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would speak. We pray, Lord, that you would help this word of yours come alive in our hearts and our understanding. That, Lord we would understand more of who Jesus Christ is and why it's so critical to secure what we believe about Jesus. We pray this prayer in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. This transition that we're making, we're, uh, we're going to ask our kids and their parents. This is the invitation, children and parents. We have not just a children's message, but we have a message for our children and parents. They're going to make their way out this side door here. Pastor J.D. is going to be preaching them to them today, back in the back in the kids' worship room. 
One of the reasons we invite our parents to go is because we genuinely believe that parents are the spiritual leaders. They are the spiritual authority over their children. Dad in particular, you need to be facilitating this relationship with your child. It's good to see parents heading back to the back because the message is to help facilitate this discussion between mom and dad and their child, grandma, granddad, their child. You're welcome to go back there to the back and to join them. The message that Pastor J.D. is going to be preaching is the same sermon outline. We broke this apart together, J.D., Stafford, and I. We went through this passage together. We developed the outline, so what I'm preaching in here to you is the same sermon outline that J.D. is going to be preaching in the back. Now, I want to put a couple of figures up on the screen. These are some graphs, and I want to remind you why we're in this study, why we are doing this study out of Colossians today. The reason that we're doing this study is because in our culture today, there are plenty of people who are confused about who Jesus Christ really is. There are plenty of people who are struggling with the idea and the concept of who Jesus is. This was from a poll that was done by Christian pollster George Barna. And one of the questions in this poll, I'm going to list two of them for you, but one of the questions in this poll was, who do you believe Jesus is? Simple, straightforward question. Who do you believe Jesus is? And this was the result. 56% of the people who responded, now this is all kinds of people, not just people in the church, but 56% of people who responded said, he's God, whereas 26% said, well, he was a religious leader, a spiritual leader, and then 18% said, I don't know, I really don't know who he was. I know what people have said he was, but I don't know who he is. Only a little more than half of the people said, Jesus Christ is God. So here's the foundation for why we're in this study. Because even in the church, there are people who wonder and question who Jesus Christ really was. This was the second question that we put up there from that survey a couple of weeks back when we started into this series. And this was the way that the question was worded on the survey that Barnett Post just put out. It said, when he, Jesus, lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. And then they asked people to either strongly agree with it, agree with it somewhat, or disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly, or I don't know. This was the response. When he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. 52% either agreed strongly or agree somewhat. 52% said Jesus Christ lived on earth and committed sins. This is why we need to be talking about Jesus. This is why we need to understand through Scripture what the Bible says about Jesus. Because if the Jesus we serve is a flawed Jesus, if he was just a spiritual leader who walked on the earth, was human like us, sinned like us, made mistakes and failed like us, I'm afraid your salvation is in dire peril. So it's important for us to understand what Scripture says about Jesus. And here in Colossians chapter 1, we have such a great foundation. Now it says in verse 13, 
said in verse 13 and 14, these would kind of be the, the foundation from which we're going to move. And uh, we're going to try to answer this question. How am I delivered into the kingdom? It says in verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now looking that word up, he has, he has delivered us. He has conveyed us. Some translations will say he has transferred us into the kingdom of God. He has transferred us. Actually, the word literally translated from Greek into English means this. He has translated us into the kingdom of God. You're speaking one language and the translation is changed and you're speaking a different language, but it's the same thing. I once was lost, but now I've been translated, I've been transferred, I've been conveyed, moved by the power of God into the kingdom of God. How does this work? How am I delivered into the kingdom of God? How am I moved? How am I delivered from the power of darkness, conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love, through whom we have redemption, through his blood, and the forgiveness of his sins? Well, there's two questions that we've got to answer if we're to understand how I'm delivered into the kingdom. Two questions that arise from this passage. The first question is this. Who is the son? Who is the son? In other words, what are the credentials of Christ? What are the credentials of of Christ. What gives him the authority? What gives him the power? What gives him the ability? Why is it so special? Why is he so special above all else? Who is the son? The second question that we've got to answer is what does the son do? What does the son do? What are the credentials of Christ? What is the commission of Christ? What does the son do? And those are the two questions that we want to answer from this passage of scripture. So we start here with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, some people have read this verse and mistaken this verse from what it's intended to be. He is the image of the invisible God. Well, does that mean that Jesus is not God? If he's the image of the invisible God, does that mean that he's just a representation? Well, no, that's not what it's saying. It's just saying that he is in human form, in human fashion, he is the embodiment of this invisible God whom we serve. Let me see if I can explain. Um, Got a picture for you. Put it up on the screen. It says, this good mood is brought to you by coffee. Um, Is that me? (laughs) I know who said that. Is it me? Oh, you, you stopped and thought about that, didn't you? Now, because you think it's a trick question. And now you're thinking, no. That must be like his twin brother or something. No. If you answered and said, yes, that's me, you're right, that is me. If you shook your head and said, no, that is not him, you're right, 
that's not me. But you're not making sense. That's me. It's an image of me. It is not me. It can't eat. It can't taste. It is a representation that looks like me. It is me. It is me. It is an image of me. But it cannot fully, possibly grasp all of me. Well, what if we put it in motion? I'm not going to put it in motion. But what if, what if it was a movie? Well, it's still just a representation of me. It is me. Yes, it is me. But it's the image of me. I am so much more than the image. And so listen, when Scripture says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Let's keep something in mind. He is literally God. This is God. This is creator God. This is the one who has hung all of the stars in the sky. This is God who has made everything. He has created every single thing. He has brought everything into being in a human body. Do you think it's possible do you think it's possible for that human body to contain all of the essence, all of the being of an uncreated God in that human form? He was fully God. Yes, he was God in the flesh. He was fully human. Yes, he was fully human. But all the totality of God could not be contained in a single human being. Jesus Christ is the image. He is the representation. He is the human expression of God. This is God in the flesh. This is God here with us. And when we look at Jesus Christ, we need to understand that even as Jesus walked on the earth, God was so much bigger than just what a human body could contain. Here's part of the message of Colossians to us. Here's part of what Paul is expressing through the Holy Spirit. This Jesus that you hung on the cross, do you really think you could kill God? No, there is no way that you could kill God. You killed the image of the invisible God who walked here on earth with us. You killed Jesus in the human form, but Jesus in the God form, he never died. He descended into the depths. He revealed himself to all those people who were held captive in captivity. And when he ascended on high, he took all of those believers with him. He took Gideon and he took David and he took Moses and he took Abraham who couldn't join him in eternity, couldn't spend forever in heaven with the Father because they had never trusted in the name of Jesus Christ. It is only by the name of Jesus that those people could be saved. And so this Jesus who on the cross his physical body died, he descended into the depths and he led all of those people into heaven. He is God. And my friend today, if you are confused about who Jesus Christ is, I just want to tell you, I want to, I want to cajole you, I want to persuade you, I want to, I want to pummel you into believing if I could. Verbally. There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. No other name. Jesus is it. He's the image of the invisible God. This is God. The firstborn over all creation. 
we get a glimpse of God in Jesus Christ. He contained all the fullness of God, Scripture says, but we also know that God, God is so incredible and so expansive. He is so more full that he even expresses himself in three different characters. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He's the image of the invisible God, but he's also the firstborn of all creation. This word is used there, verse 15. He's the firstborn over all creation. Verse 18, it's used again. He's the firstborn from the dead. It's important to understand this word. Prototokos. Prototokos is the word in Greek. Now, a lot of times I don't pull words from Greek into English, but it's important to understand this one. Because there are some people who say, well, look, he was born. He was the firstborn. He was the first created being of God. So he's not God. He's the firstborn of God. Prototokos. Well, keep in mind that in Scripture, there is a different word that is used for the eldest child as opposed to firstborn as in relation to Christ. This word, prototokos, is only used to describe Jesus Christ. And while the English translations may say he is the firstborn, and some English translations may even take that word and translate it just a little differently, he is the first. We need to understand this passage this way. Prototokos literally means that he is not just the firstborn, not just the first God. It means more. It refers only to Christ, and it means this. He is the chief one. He is the primary one. He is the preeminent one. He is it. He is all that there is. He is the one. He is highest above all. He is the greatest of all that there ever will be, ever has been, ever is in the moment. He is the chief one, the primary one, the preeminent one. He is prototokos, the firstborn, first begotten. All of these words apply to Jesus Christ. He is it. And scripture goes on to explain he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, everything was created. Jesus can't be a created being if by him all things were created. For by him all things were created in heaven. On earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the chief one, the primary one. Past, he created all the world. Present, he holds it all together. Future, he is the one who's going to restore and redeem all this world. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn in the past, the chief one. All things were made by him. He is the firstborn. He is the chief one in the present and in the future. Before him, all things, and in him, all things consist. Who is this Christ? Who is this son? Who is this Jesus? He is God fully. He is the chief one. He is the most important part of the entire universe. 
and he is the head of all. He has all the authority. He holds the position of ultimate authority within the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head. Matthew chapter 21, verses 41, 42 through 44, says this about Jesus. Matthew 21, verses 42, says, Have you never read in the scriptures? This stone, the stone which the builders rejected, he's the chief cornerstone. This was God's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Whoever falls on this stone, whoever stumbles over this stone, whoever trips over me, Jesus Christ, will fall and will be ground to powder. In other words, if we think anything, anyone, any human being, you, me, us, culture, if we think that we have evolved to this place where we can take the teachings of Christ, we can take the teachings of God from his word and lay them aside and say, these no longer matter. These no longer create a difference. These are no longer the most important things that we have to live by. We will be crushed, scripture says. He is the head of the church of the body. I know. I know. We see something like this. We read this. He's the head. He's the chief one. He's the image of the invisible God. He's God in the flesh. And the thought among some is, Pastor, I already know this. Of course Jesus is the head of the church. Of course Jesus is the leader. Of course Jesus is in control. Of course Jesus is the lead one. Really? Really? Let me ask you a very simple, straightforward question today. Knowing what you do about the state of the American church today, this one included, but the state of the American church today, would you say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church today? If we say... Yes. When I look around at the church and when I see that we have 375 million people in the United States today of whom about 275 say they have some affiliation in church and they have some connection with church that they believe in a God and of whom about 200 million still identify as Christian and yet look and see that somewhere in the neighborhood of about 27 million may actually be found in church today. Maybe 10% of those who say they believe are actually in a place where they're going to worship the one that they believe in. To say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church today, oh, he's the lead one, he is the head, but we rebel against the head all the time. 
what makes Christ so special. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the chief one. He is the head of the church. Now, what does this mean for us? Briefly, I'm going to make it quick. It means that he contains the full power of God. Verse 17, he is before all things. In him all things exist, consist. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, firstborn of the dead, that in him all things he may have the preeminence. Please the Father that in him all the fullness, all the fullness of God shall dwell. All of God's power shall be dwelling. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You who were once alienated, enemies in your own mind, by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, presents you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In him is the fullness. What is the commission of Christ? One of, first of all, he has the full power of God. He has the full power of God. Now, if you remember last week, we covered this passage of Scripture, and uh, we covered verses 9 through 12, and it talked about the power of God there. And it says that you, as a believer in Christ, now, you, may you be, and this was the prayer of Paul, may you be filled with the fullness of God's power. May you be filled with the fullness of God's power. That was the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Colossae. Well, there's a difference between you and me, us, being filled with the fullness of God's power and what it's talking about here with Jesus Christ. And here's the difference. You may think it's subtle, but it's critical. Here's the difference. I'm the infused. If I'm going to be filled with the fullness of God's power, if I have all of the power of God, it means that I have to have the power of God enter into me. I don't have it right now. Paul's praying and saying, may you be filled with the power of God. May you experience the power of God. You don't have it right now, but I'm praying that you'll receive it. I'm the infused. He's the infuser. In him is all the power. In him is everything. In him is everything that ever was and ever will be, anything that ever existed. He made it all, and he has all the power of God in him. And that when he ascended on that hill called Calvary, and he ascended to the cross, and he allowed himself to be nailed down on the cross, Jesus Christ was fulfilling all of that design that God had in store for all the power of God to be displayed on the cross to pay for your sin in mind. In him, he had all the power of God. And he brought it to bear for me. What's the commission of Christ? How am I delivered into the kingdom of God? I've got to understand who Christ is, the credentials of Christ. I've got to understand the calling, the commission of Christ. He continues contains the full power of God. But secondly, he reconciles the world unto himself. He reconciles the world unto himself. Jesus Christ is working to save this world. If we look around our world today, we know that our world needs saving. Here in the state of our, in, in our state, our home state, the state of Virginia, we're in a mess. And uh, we need somebody to straighten it out. We need somebody to be the one who redeems this mess, but we know that it's not going to be redeemed by a state senator, it's not going to be redeemed by a governor, it's not going to be redeemed by a militia, it's going to be redeemed, if it is ever redeemed, it's going to be redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. That's it. He reconciles the world unto himself. Our world is in a terrible state 
but it has been in a terrible state for a long time. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, he's reconciling the world unto himself, this universal redemption. He is working to redeem the world Jesus Christ is. Now, don't misunderstand this statement, universal redemption. It doesn't mean that everybody's saved. It means that Christ, through his death on the cross, is changing the entire world. But he came not just to change the entire world to save the entire world from all of these things, but to save me personally from all of these things. He reconciles the world unto himself, and he reconciles you and me unto himself. This personal human redemption. If you continue, if you believe, have trusted, you're grounded, steadfast, strong in the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. He reconciles you and me. What is the most amazing thing about Christ? What is the most amazing thing about Jesus Christ? I guess for me, the most amazing thing about Jesus Christ is that this image, this man who's fully man but fully God, who walked on the earth, who created everything that there ever was, everything that ever will be, this image of the invisible God, this chief one, the one who is the preeminent one. He is the one through whom all of this world was made. This chief one, this head of the church, the authority above all authorities, the king of all kings, the name by which every person will bow down. This Jesus who has the power of God, contains the entire power of the entire universe of everything that has ever been made, that he is working to redeem not only this universe, but that he cares for me. The most incredible thing about Jesus Christ is that he still loves me. You. Us. What is the commission of Christ? What did he come to do? He came to save you. To bring all of that power to bear on you. To redeem us. And to convey us into the kingdom of his glory. My friend, there is not one thing that God wants before this. He's not looking for you to give your money. He's not looking for you to volunteer in the nursery. He's not looking for you to become a deacon or a Sunday school teacher 
before you surrender your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That is why he came and brought all of his power to bear to bring you into the kingdom of his glory. And if there is any question, any doubt whatsoever in your mind as to whether that salvation through this Savior, Jesus, if there's any question about that, Today's the day to settle. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. I'm going to ask you to take this moment and go ahead and bow your head with me. Just block out everybody else. Block out your neighbor. Block out your spouse, kids. This is just a moment for you and Jesus. What do you believe? about Jesus is he just a good man a spiritual leader flawed like the rest of us but with good intentions or is he the same creator God who made this world who with all of the power and might that it took to create this universe desires to bring all of that power to bear in your life, your heart. He wants to make you into a new creation, a new creature. He wants to take the old and push it aside and bring the new in, usher it in. He's the image of God. He's the preeminent one. He's the chief one. He is the head of all the church. He has all of the power of God. And yet, there is one thing that will stifle the work of this amazing Christ that we serve. And that one thing that can stifle the work of Christ is you. He wants to change my heart. He wants to change your heart. If you have not received him as your Savior, he wants to transform your life starting right now in this moment here today. And it's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. And I want to commit my life to you today. And all of that power of God that made this universe begins to work in your heart to remake you. I will never manipulate you to make this choice.